Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Monday, and we are joined by the latest Bulwark staffer, Will Salatin, who makes his debut today. So first of all, happy Monday, Will. Thank you, Charlie. Should we do a little bit of uh, personal, uh, professional news right, right at the Sh- top here? Sure. What you got? You and I are going to be regulars on Monday for people who are regular listeners of the podcast. We figured that we're going to make this a fixture. It's going to be the Will and Charlie show every Monday. So I really appreciate you making yourself available, and which means you probably have to like pay attention to the Sunday shows. But anyway, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Will. That's great. And everybody should know that Charlie is doing the same thing I'm doing, except backwards and in heels. Pretty much the same thing, yeah. So by the way, since there's so much to talk about today, including I've made a list of things I really want to talk about, and then I've made a list of things I just do not want to talk about, okay? So on my list of things I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about Joe Rogan. (laughs) Sorry. Do you want to talk about Joe Rogan? Uh, No, I'll I'll go with you in passing on Joe Rogan. Okay, so um, you know, somewhere in between Ben and Jerry's, I, I, I've sort of gone back and forth. You know, I don't want to talk about ice cream taking positions on politics. Ben and Jerry's apparently taking a very strong, hey, let's not make Vladimir Putin mad type thing. So I don't know. I, I didn't know appeasement was a flavor. <laughs> right? I didn't you put out some like really bad pun about that? Yeah, sorry, minutes? sorry. We were we were debating what should be the flavor of Ben and Jerry's to honor Ben and Jerry's position that we should not be preparing for any kind of confrontation with Russia or trying to deter them. And my nomination was appease mint. I thought um, that was and pretty I, good. I would welcome listeners to come up with their own Ben and Jerry flavor. So, among other things that I did want to talk about today is: Have you ever have you ever burned a Christmas tree? Not deliberately. <laughs> okay, so see, I I have a an obsession for many many years when I used to be on the radio saying we have to have you know real Christmas trees. Artificial trees are an abomination, and you know here in Wisconsin we grow a lot of Christmas trees, so they're abundant. I just like real Christmas trees. I like the way they smell. I like the way they look. I like the fact that they're actually real trees as opposed to you know plastic toilet brush things that you put up in your living room. So yesterday, though, uh, we had taken down the tree um, a long time ago. <laughs> it wasn't up until yesterday. I want to make this clear. And the tree had been outside, and it was it was dried out. And my wife and I built a bonfire and took the tree and threw it on the bonfire. And uh, wow, I mean, <laughs> let me just put it this way. I am now rethinking having that tree in my house. I, it, the, the flames are just amazing. It is like a bomb. You, you take an old Christmas tree and you light it on fire and it is hot, spectacular, and you begin to rethink how smart it is to have something like that in your actual house. I'm just sharing this information with you. Wow. Okay. So, Charlie, so I'm Jewish, so I will trade you some information, some secret information about our space laser if you will tell me what secret ingredients they put into Christmas trees to get them to go up in flames like that. Mm, I don't know. Um, I'll have to DM you that. I have no idea what the, the secret ingredient is. Just like, I don't look. Yeah, have you ever seen those old pictures of people who have Christmas trees in their house and they actually, before they had lights, they had candles on the Christmas trees. <laughs> I was like, what, what are you people thinking? <laughs> it's like pictures of kids running around pretending they're astronauts with uh, dry cleaning bags over their heads. It's like, really, people, <laughs> you did you did that. Okay, so this morning, before I actually finished my newsletter, I had to do a little bit of um, Canadian political radio. 
And they were asking me about what I thought about the siege of Ottawa, which I didn't know really that much about, but which I, of course, because the internet is out there, I can do my own research. Have you followed this story, how crazy this story is? How Ottawa, Canada has basically been occupied by these anti-vax truckers. And it has really gotten out of hand. And uh, even even for the Canadians who are usually pretty chill about all this stuff, it's like, what the hell? And, and they think that there's a lot of American juice behind all of this. And, you know, one of my takes was the bigger this is because of the optics, the more likely is that we are going to have these kinds of things here. It just feels like there's momentum building for, you know, what's the next thing? So January 6th was pretty cool, but not as cool as the trucker attack on Ottawa. What can we do here? Uh, I I had no idea. I, I, I have yeah. heard about something like this. I you're, you're giving me details I did not know. And yeah. I apparently severely underestimated the interestingness of Canada. Well, I think that's easy to do. I'm sorry. I just, it, it is <laughs> just a little bit. But uh, it's it's worth watching because the pictures are rather extraordinary. So we have we have so much to talk about, including the legitimate political discourse uh, RNC vote on Friday, uh, which uh, it's gotten a lot of commentary. Uh, Mike Pence's um, quasi break with Donald Trump, saying the magic words, "President Trump was wrong." We have the the Olympics opening up in China. Okay, so speaking of of, of China. And you notice I'm kind of backing into everything today because it's money. <laughs> um, I, I saw that you were retweeting Jake Tapper's, uh, his, his, his monologue, where he was really calling, and I thought he made a really interesting point, calling out all of the American corporations, the woke American corporations that, that had taken very, very strong stands about voter suppression laws in this country and, you know, standing for democracy and saying, we need to align with our values. And yet they have no problem with the Chinese. So it's like, if you pass a law in Georgia, we are going to, we will draw the bright red line here. But if there's genocide against the Uyghurs, eh, not so much. Yeah. Okay. So I have a pet theory about this and I do not want to offend any of my progressive friends, but you've already offended think... all of Canada. <laughs> I mean, come on, Will. So <laughs> this, this I think is a, a bit of a blind spot for a lot of progressives. They have certain domestic issues that they care a lot about, like uh, white on black racism, right? And there's, God knows there's a long history of white on black racism in the United States. And if you're concerned about injustice in the United States, it's a fine place to put your effort and your energy. But they often tend not to pay that much attention to similar injustices or related injustices in other countries. That's not our concern. Um, it's really the sort of neocon types who get worked up about what's going on in China or Myanmar or other places. So this is just a, a, a place where corporations who want to um, demonstrate their moral bona fides to progressive America, they will talk about things like voter laws in Georgia or Texas, but they will make money hand over fist working with the Chinese government and they will ignore Chinese genocide and they will get away with it because a lot of the American audience just doesn't care. That is true. And I mean, that's, that's sort of the reality is they're, they're, they're willing to virtue signal when it's it, it's easy. But when it really comes down to, hey, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of money there. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Not so much. OK, so let's dive into the weekend. You ready for this? Let's go. You really girded for this. Should we start <laughs> with the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, 
who goes down to Florida and he's speaking at the Federalist Society. I mean, I think it's kind of significant that he chose to give this speech at the Federalist Society, which, of course, is the you know conservative uh, organization that is responsible for almost every judge that uh, that Donald Trump has appointed. And now it's important to mention that Mike Pence has said before that he did not think that he as vice president had the power to overturn the election. But this was the first time that he explicitly used Donald Trump's name. So we have a short clip. There are those in our party who believe that as the presiding officer over the joint session of Congress, that I possess unilateral authority to reject electoral college votes. And I heard this week that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. But President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. And Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. All right. So, well, I I devoted my newsletter to sort of the half full, half empty Mike Pence saying the magic words, uh, Trump is wrong. Also basically saying that Trump's idea and his proposal was un-American. Your thoughts? Where do you come down on this? (laughs) All right. So, you know, much, so I'm, I'm a squish, Charlie. I, I am with you. 100% on the positive side of this. I love that Mike Pence said this. I want to applaud him. I mean, look, I'm a pessimist about the fight for democracy. So I want to welcome all converts. And the former vice president is a hell of a convert. So I I like what he said. And there's a couple things I want to point out about it. First of all, the principle that he stated there, one person should never be allowed to overturn an election. That's un-American. That is the most important principle. So first point for Mike Pence there. Secondly, saying the words, President Trump was wrong. So specific, this is what other Republicans won't do, right? They'll disagree right. with some element of it. But to say Trump was wrong, that was important. Thirdly, really interesting to me, this is like a political attack. He chose a statement of Donald Trump's in which Donald Trump screwed up, right? It wasn't Trump doing his normal thing about how he wanted to uh, reinstate the correct results of the election, which is that mm. he won. He screwed up and he said he wanted to overturn the election. It was a mistake on his part. It was a gaffe. And Mike Pence seized on that gaffe. He quoted that gaffe. So this was a deliberate attempt to use Trump's worst formulation to establish Mike Pence's position to the contrary. Okay, but to what end? Where where, where does Mike Pence think this is going to go? Because um, between you and me, Mike Pence is never going to be president. He's never going to win the Republican nomination. And he's sort of tiptoeing into this. So what's his endgame? How does he think this is going to play? I I have no idea. How do you think it's going to play? I don't know. Um, Okay, so um, by the way, I really appreciated that uh, on our podcast today. Will Selton says, uh, I am a squish like you, Charlie. Thank you. Like you, I am a squish. See, here's the thing. I I didn't know where you were going to come down on this because I was feeling some writer's regret that I that I threw him a bone. But I I, I mean, I walk through all of the negatives on all of this. I mean, so you listen to this and and again, I agree with you. I, I think it's important anytime you have some Republican who is willing to do this. We need to give them some credit because ultimately, I think this might come down to 
Republicans, you know, in places like Arizona and Pennsylvania and, and Georgia. And it might even be, you know, former Trump supporters, all of this. But, you know, again, Trump didn't say that Trump lost the election explicitly. He's not going after the lies about the voter fraud. He didn't denounce Trump for inciting the violence. He didn't address the hang Mike Pence or kill Mike Pence stuff. You know, he's not talking about, you know, the faked or forged electoral votes. And so he wants to keep straddling on all of this. And it's certainly taken a very, very long time for him to come around. He did not pledge that he's going to cooperate with the January 6th committee. He may still you know, be playing some games about all of that. But I do think that the point you're making is, is important. And Jonathan Carl said this too from ABC. He said, look, you know, this is an extraordinary moment to utter those words because this is the loyal vice president. And I, I do think that you know, it, it, it was not going to help Mike Pence, but it might provide some some permission structure for other Republicans to come out and say, OK, you know what? This is crazy. This is nuts. And you know who I think understood that? I think Steve Bannon actually understood that. He was ranting about it. He was very upset about this. He said, uh, he said, you're a stone cold coward. My head's blowing up. I can't take Pence and Mark Short, the chief of staff and all these other guys uh, up there ratting out Trump on Capitol Hill right now. Interesting. Ratting out. So Bannon thought it was significant. Yeah. So, Charlie, can I ask to apply? I want to find out what your personal squish test is. Is there any convert you would not accept in the cause of democracy? That is an excellent question. You know, and I I, I actually am wrestling with this because, you know, look, I mean, I understand that there's an entire cottage industry of people saying we should never listen to Charlie Sykes because, you know, 10 years ago, you know, he was he was a conservative Republican. And so there's no redemption for anybody. And so, I mean, I understand that there are people who are totally non-redemption. And then the question is, okay, how long into the Trump presidency, into Trumpism did you have to go? Um, Liz Cheney was with Trump like right up until the end. I mean, she voted for him. She endorsed him, right? I mean, she her voting record, and yet she drew the line, and I'm certainly willing to welcome her and Adam Kinzinger. Um, so, yeah, there are probably some who have engaged in the most egregious lies, but at, at, at this point, I think that given how how deep this hole is, we are not, we don't really have the luxury of turning down people who are willing to say the right thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there are names. I mean, there are, there are some, you know, the, 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 the pure, the pure grifters, the people who, you know, clearly had, uh, you know, gone deep into this world for, you know, the worst possible motives. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm never going to accept Steve Bannon, for example. Um, and I have a hard time with Chris Christie, I'll be honest with you, but I'm willing to do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to listen. I want to listen to what he says, because otherwise we're going to be kind of lonely. Right. The, the person who's coming to mind for me who I probably wouldn't accept is Tucker Carlson. And it's only oh, yeah. because I would believe that he was setting me up. <laughs> so I don't believe he would be sincere about it, as much as I just don't think he's sincere about anything. But um, short of that, I'd accept most most of those folks. Yeah, I don't think I'd go for J.D. Vance. I don't think uh, Ted Cruz. I don't think uh, Josh Hawley um, and Marco Rubio. I mean, what an incredible shrinking man. This is, I mean, it's really remarkable to think that there was a time when he was on the cover of Time magazine as the savior of the Republican Party. And what a little, little man he's turned out to be. We have a, uh, we have one of the sound, we have a, a bunch of sound bites, of, which we could play. Here's Marco Rubio on one of the Sunday shows yesterday. Do you agree with Mike Pence? 
Well, if uh, President Trump runs for re-election, I believe he would defeat Joe Biden. And I don't want Kamala Harris to have the power as vice president to overturn that election. And I don't that's the same thing that I concluded back in January of 2021. So Donald Trump was wrong. Well, as I said, I just don't think a vice president has that power because if the vice president has that power. Donald Trump would defeat Joe Biden in four years or two years. And then Kamala Harris can decide not to overturn the election. I don't want to wind up there. Just just can't say it, can he? You just can't, you can't say, you know, I I think it was Tim Miller that that pointed out Marco Rubio actually calls Trump President Trump, but he calls Joe Biden, Joe Biden. And it's just kind of one of those little, little, I don't know, little quirks. And then he goes on to say that the, the January 6th committee is just a, you know, it's, it's a total scam and everything. So he's, he's certainly not going to be one of the guys that is going to stand up for what's right. No, I, I, you know, look, so I am such a squish. I am happy anytime someone says the basic thing that Mike Pence said, which Rubio just repeated there, right? We're not going to ha- let one person overturn an election because that is right. You, once you accept that, you're full-blown authoritarian. You, you may not call it that, but that's where you are. So we want everybody on our side of that question. We proceed next to something like shutting down the January 6th investigation. And it certainly sounded to me like Marco Rubio was saying, he's prepared to do that. He's he's with Kevin McCarthy in saying that the investigation is illegitimate, that it's partisan. And uh, so we, we can't count on him to make sure that justice is done and that the people who tried to overthrow the government are held accountable. Okay, so Mark Short was Mike Pence's former chief of staff who's cooperated with the January 6th committee. He was also on Sunday. Let's play him, Mark Short. Do you believe Joe Biden was a legitimately elected president? Does the I, former vice president I believe, believe I believe that Joe Biden is, is duly elected president of the United States. Yes. Legitimately so. The election was legitimate. I you may disagree with voting procedures, but the election itself I, was legitimate. Well, I mean, I think that's the same, it's the same question. I think that there were significant concerns about the process of that election that's mm-hmm. going to create a cloud. Um, but I think, Chuck, at the same time, to your point, the campaign had opportunities to bring that evidence up till December 14th and didn't. And so I think at this point you have to assume that he was duly elected. And the reality is that there was not enough significant fraud that was presented that would have overturned any of those states' elections. Yes. See, hedging and fudging. Okay, so your squish test there, Will? I'm I'm still a squish, Charlie. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about I am I am happy that Mark Short said he went further than Rubio. Uh, he said there was not enough fraud to overturn the election. That's really important. It's really important to get that message out because there are a heck of a lot of people out there who believe Donald Trump when he says the opposite. Um, and also, it's important to give people an off ramp from Trump's madness, right? right? right and if right. you can. I think it is an acceptable off-ramp for them to say, look, we did not demonstrate enough fraud to overturn the election. There were court fights, and we just didn't produce that evidence, so it's not there. But we don't like some of the procedures that were done in 2020 because of the virus and the mass mail-in and the, you know, yada, yada. And you can bitch all you want about that as long as you're willing to say it was not a fraudulent election, it was a real election, and Trump lost. Okay, so I'm working on a litmus test here. I'm 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 getting there, but I'm 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 thinking this through. So even more forcefully, though, Chris Christie. And by the way, I'm I'm on record as saying that that if I if if I had to have a conversation with Chris Christie, it would it would begin with me saying "fuck you." Just what the (laughs) fuck were you thinking back in 2016 when you stood there like you know with a shine box, you know, enabling this guy? So fuck you, Chris Christie. But having gotten that out of my system, I'd say, okay, all right, okay. What have you got to say? I'm go- I'm going to listen. So I've been. I would have to go through that process. 
I would have to go through a series of fuck yous before I got to the squish position. But here's Chris Christie uh, yesterday. I think that the actions the vice president took on January 6th spoke loudly, and I'm glad he's finally put words to it. I don't know why it took him so long, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad that he did. Um, And let's face it. Let's call this what it is. January 6th was a riot that was incited by Donald Trump uh, in an effort to intimidate Mike Pence and the Congress into doing exactly what he said in his own words last week, overturn the election. Now, he's tried to do a cleanup on aisle one here um, and correcting that stuff, but it's not going to change. He actually told the truth by accident. He wanted the election to be overturned. Okay, good. Okay, that's good. That's good stuff. All right. But here's my litmus test, because you're asking, you know, what is what is the standard? And I think it comes down to this. Are you willing to say that you would not support Donald Trump in 2024? Okay, let me put it the other way. No matter what you say about Donald Trump being wrong, Donald Trump doing this, doing that, if you are unwilling to say that he is disqualified from another term, if you have left the door open to supporting him in 2024, then I'm sorry. I, I can't I can't go along with it. I mean, no, you're you're off the island. Okay. So first of all, Charlie, I don't approve of you saying to Chris Christie, fuck you. I just think that's a bridge too far. Okay. Um but having having set that aside, a p- deliberate pun there, um I I, I I'm not gonna hold any of these folks to the test of what you'll say about Trump. 2024. I hold it. I, I don't, they're cowards for not saying it. Susan Collins and everybody else who won't say it. uh, I don't believe they would support Trump, but I didn't think Chris Christie in 2016 would do what he did. I mean, there's no one more responsible for Donald Trump's election than Chris Christie. Right. I mean, he, I agree. He at a crucial moment elevated Donald Trump and protected him. So he's very much responsible for that. It makes me severely doubt that he would have the courage to stand up to Trump if Trump gains enough support to be viable again in 2024, which I think Trump pretty much has that level of support now. And yeah, when it gets to that point, I'm going to want everybody, all these people who won't say it to say it, that they won't support him and to rally around somebody else. But honestly, Charlie, if they said it now, do you have confidence that they would follow through? Well, they have to start saying it now. I mean, I think that's what's important is if you are going to stop this, you're going to have to have people who are willing to Take a deep breath. And even I'm I'm willing to accept, by the way, I'm still willing to accept to say, okay, so I agree with a lot of things that Donald Trump did. I supported a lot of his policies, but we need to move on. And Donald Trump should never be back in the Oval Office again. I want to hear those words. Those are the words I want to hear is that I cannot bring myself to support Donald Trump in 2024. He should not be our nominee. I would not support him if he was the nominee. Even Mitch McConnell can't bring himself uh, you know, in his head, he's screaming, right? There's a little, you know, little Mitch back there going, oh, God, no, absolutely. But I can't say it. I'm never going to say the words. Okay. All right. So you just persuaded me. You just, I'm going to change my mind on the yeah. air. So I, I think that you are right. Goes, this goes back to what you said about the permission structure. It's very important to change the momentum now. Right. right. And the more, I agree with you, the more, if he were to say that, if, if Pence will say it, if Christie will say it, right. if Rubio Big, will say huge. it, the momentum will build. So yes, I agree with you. And it changes the conversation. It, it does change the conversation. So I, I want to hear you say the words. 
Fuck you, Chris Christie. <laughs> <laughs> Say the words. I really want it. Okay, so let's let's talk about the RNC vote, which was a complete fiasco. Uh, I know that, that Ronna McDaniel, the, the chairman, is you know on doing her cleanup, saying no legitimate political discourse did not refer to the attack on the Capitol. It referred to peaceful folks, but I don't know. Um, that distinction could have been made in the resolution, and the fact that they didn't tells me that they are deep into the revisionist history that Donald Trump is demanding. And Donald Trump is all in on trying to retcon January 6th from being a violent riot and insurrection into a patriotic protest against a stolen election. And that was what was reflected in the actual language of the resolution. Okay, so... I have a moral dilemma here, and I'm the only person in the country who has this dilemma, which is technically, technically, Bronna McDaniel is right, right? When they wrote this resolution, they were meaning to refer to people who are being interviewed by, subpoenaed by the January 6th committee who are not part of the violence, yada, yada. And they screwed up in the way that they framed it and the way they, the way they wrote it and said it's all legitimate political discourse. They didn't actually, I don't believe they actually meant that the people who were like crapping in the Capitol and like beating up police officers were doing legitimate political discourse. But this is where I take a little bit of courage from my never Trump friends. You know, I'm coming from the sort of left side of the spectrum. Republicans are so much better at giving no quarter to this kind of a gaffe, right? And they pounce on it. They're like, you said legitimate political discourse. Here's video of people beating up police officers. This is what you think is. Li and Liz Cheney goes after this with all the vigor that she called, with which she called Democrats socialists, right? Another lie, but sort of she... She knows how to beat them up with this stuff. And you know how to beat them up with this stuff. And I feel like I sort of should join the yes. Never Trump army that's yes. standing up and beating them up over this. See, you know what your main problem is, Will? Is you're just way nicer than me. You're just a nicer person than I am. <laughs> because I am not willing to cut them any slack whatsoever for all of this. And, and I think that whatever was in their minds, um, I do think that they understood that they could not acknowledge the violence, the riot, the insurrection in any way in that resolution attacking Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. I mean, what was this whole thing about? I mean, you know, I wrote about this over the weekend. You know, why are they so obsessed with her? Well, I mean, the bottom line is that I think they're very, very concerned. There's a real anxiety about what this January 6th committee is going to find, what it's going to do, what the impact will be, the credibility they lend to it. They feel that they have to discredit Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger because they desperately need to discredit this committee. They are really nervous about it. But so any recognition on their part of the violence and the rioting completely destroys their position. So that's part of this revisionist history, which is that we're going to turn a blind eye to the violence. We're going to pretend it didn't exist. We're going to make an alternative story. And that's what that resolution was about. And they got busted for it. You know, and frankly, if, if Democrats were better at politics, they would have been all over the, uh, the Sunday shows just, you know, wrapping that around the RNC's neck. Yes, so true. And that is the fundamental difference that I am learning between Democrats trying to beat up the, the, the Trump party and former Republicans who know how to beat people up beating up the <laughs> Trump party. Uh, it, it is 
it is, I mean, think about like Kevin McCarthy, who has none of the scruples that I'm articulating here, right? Kevin McCarthy, just, he knows that I'm not going to talk. It's exactly what you said. We're not going to talk about the violence. We're not going to talk about all the bad stuff that happened on January 6th, leading up to January 6th. We're just going to smear this committee. We're going to lie about this committee. We're going to pretend it is entirely partisan, that any Republicans on the committee are not real Republicans, that everything it's doing is illegitimate so that we can win control of the House and shut it down. And I understand this point. I cannot be advocating unilateral disarmament in the face of that kind of ruthlessness. Well, also, you know, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the, in, in the past, you know, Democrats are you know bad at politics and what they've done and the strat strategic mistakes they have made. And so let's set that aside for a moment, because I think this is a perfect example of political malpractice by the Republicans. And I think that it played out over the weekend where, I mean, I think, you, you know, people need to understand that this was a big meeting of the Republican National Committee. This was their chance to talk about a lot of things. And their entire message was completely eclipsed by this stupid resolution about the legitimate political discourse. But this, I think, is a reflection of the of the way the Republicans have screwed this up. I mean, go back to how we got here when Mitch McConnell decided that he was going to kill that independent commission, you know, to study the, the riot. Um, it, you know, it, remember there was a bipartisan deal in the house, 35 house Republicans mm -hmm. voted for this independent commission, which would have been completely balanced to the same number of Republicans and Democrats. And then Kevin McCarthy decides to pull all the Republican members that he'd nominated for the committee from it because Nancy Pelosi wouldn't go along with Jim Jordan and Jim Banks of Indiana on the panel, which is ridiculous because I mean, they may be witnesses to all of that. So. McCarthy makes the decision that he's going to pull all of the Republicans off. He's not a very good chess or checkers player because then Pelosi puts uh, Cheney and, and Kinzinger on. So they thought, you know, that by opposing any sort of independent commission and by refusing to have anybody of their own on this committee, that somehow they were going to be protected, that they'd be able to discredit it. It would, you know, they could scuttle it. Well, it's not working out that way. And so I think there's kind of a panic move that we have to purge Liz Cheney. Well, we have to purge her again. Well, let's purge her again. Um, I think you're seeing a little flop sweat about this. They're worried about this committee. Yeah. And I don't know what, you know, the committees, obviously a lot of people have talked to the committee, right? Mark Short and, and, and others have like, and they've, a lot of staffers have talked with, I mean, the committee has released some of the information it has, but it's very important for the Republicans who've decided that they don't want to talk about January 6th to get out in front of smearing the committee so they can tell their people to pay no more attention to the committee's report than they would pay to the Mueller report, right? Or information about U the Ukraine or this has been the Trumpist playbook the whole way along. And I guess we'll find out when the report comes out, um, there will be a report at some point before the next election, whether that strategy of discreditation has has uh, has succeeded. So let's talk about your debut in The Bulwark, because I think you've written a very important story that, that I want people to, to understand about, uh, you know, the, the headline is lies are the building blocks of Trumpian authoritarianism. And and, and look, I, I think we understand that, you know, the deceit is a danger to democracy. But the point you make here is very, very important that we haven't the people haven't abandoned their belief in democracy. They've been lied to about it. Because I'm not going to try to summarize your own piece. So make make your case here. What, what are you trying to say? 
Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that it's really easy to become an authoritarian country, right? You don't have to say, I renounce democracy. You don't have to say, I reject the constitution or anything. All you have to do is to be persuaded of a few lies, like to take the simplest one. Donald Trump is out there every day and he's got allies in the Republican Party with him saying that real ballots, the ballots that elected Joe Biden are fake ballots. They're not from real people. They were fabricated. Right. And that we need, you know, we need to restrict voting all over the country because the ballots that would come in are really from illegal aliens or they're just fabricated. Right. We need to. So if once you believe that you become an authoritarian. You're like, well, the guy who got elected wasn't really elected. So it's fine to go to the Capitol and try to stop that election from being implemented to stop the transfer of power to this illegitimate guy. Right. And it's just, but you don't think that you're an authoritarian. You think you are defending democracy. Absolutely. And, and I looked at polling as part of this story and the polling shows the extent to which these lies have permeated. And so it's not that there are all these evil people. I mean, there are some terrible people in the sort of Trump coalition, but there are a lot of well-meaning people who think they are saving democracy by trying to overturn an election, by trying to restrict voting, by trying to end this, what they think is this uh, communist uh, January 6th investigation that's really pursuing innocent people who are just trying to protect their country, patriots. So you just get this warped view of reality and all your values are the same as as us, right? It's just that you're moving in the wrong direction and you're helping the bad guys because you think they're the good guys. Well, and one of the things that, and I've, I've tried to make this point before, that people need to understand that the insurrection becomes a rational act if, in fact, you believe that the democracy has been undermined, the election has been stolen, right? And, and I would encourage people on the left, progressives, Democrats, to imagine what well, what would you do if Trump staged a what you believe was a coup and overturned the election that you believe that uh, that he'd been defeated in the election but that he held on to power what steps would do you think would be legitimate at that point because the, you need to get into that mentality that if you believe the lies I and mean, everything that Trump's folks are saying is a lie but if you believe them how are you going to respond to all of this right right and, and this, to take it back to our previous part of the conversation, this makes it all the more important for every Republican politician who is asked about this subject to repeat, to state, if they haven't stated it before, this was a valid election. Donald Trump actually lost it. There is no evidence of fraud sufficient to overturn any of those states. And, and if you can just drive home that message and push back the false, the belief in these lies that Trump is spreading, you can move a lot of people away from authoritarian behavior. You don't have to change any of their values. You just change what they understand. Which is why, again, what people like Mike Pence are saying could potentially be valuable. I think he needs to go further. I think that he needs to say not only was Donald Trump wrong, about uh, my power, but he's wrong about the election. He's wrong about the legitimacy of that election. Because again, it's going to have to come from Republicans. Look, this fever will not be broken by another editorial in the New York Times. It is not going to be broken by another report um, on NPR. It's going to be broken by Republicans willing to say, okay, um, I'm not happy about it necessarily, but we lost the election and we need to acknowledge this. Right. Here's the basic point. We need to restore the anchor of sanity, right? The anchor of sanity is evidence, right? It's not whether you lost or I lost, right? It's, it's, we're going to 
settle facts by consulting evidence. And if the evidence doesn't bear out what you believe, you renounce your belief, you go with the evidence. There is no evidence that fraud changed the outcome of the 2016 election. There is no evidence that Russians manipulated vote counts. In fact, there is evidence to the contrary, right? So it was a legitimate election. It's crappy that the Repu- that the uh, sorry that the yeah. Russians intervened in the election through propaganda. It was not through fraud. Donald Trump won enough votes in enough states to win that election. And that same evidence is what we're going to rely on to say that Joe Biden won the election of 2020. Yeah, this is dangerous. So, all right, Will, what else have you got a hot take on today? Ukraine. (laughs) Who wants to talk about Ukraine? Well, you know what I was thinking, actually, in the middle of the night? How many people even remember now that Donald Trump was impeached? The president of the United States was impeached because he was trying to extort the president of Ukraine in return for American weapons to dig up dirt on his opponent. I mean, that seems like like this distant memory now. And now Ukraine is at the center of world politics. And we may be like moments away from a massively deadly war. Yeah. And and we, the, the circle is completed by Donald Trump having taken up the Tucker Carlson line that why, why should we be worrying about Ukraine's borders? We should worry about our own borders, right? So he's once again trying to sort of help the Russians in their propaganda campaign. I, I mean, I have a couple of questions about yeah. this, what's going on with the Ukraine business. One is this idea that I'm seeing going around on in Republican circle, a bunch of Republicans were on the Sunday shows talking about this, that we should impose sanctions on the Russians now before the invasion. Right. I do point. not understand this. Basic deterrence, doesn't that mean that we, we tell them you're going to face these sanctions if you invade so that you won't and that we'll lose that leverage if we impose them now? Isn't that the way to think about it? Well, or um, by continuing to ratchet up the pressure to make it clear what the pain is going to feel like. I think this development with the Germans and uh, the Nord Stream pipeline seems uh, potentially significant. The one thing that Vladimir Putin doesn't want to do is to have that pipeline shut down. So I don't know uh, how that's going to play out. I, I just, I find it remarkable. I guess as as somebody who has been in conservative circles for, you know, many decades now, to watch people on the right adopt the kind of reflexive blame America first mentality that we used to uh, attribute to the left. You're, you're mentioning Tucker Carlson. I mean, politics has not become this flat circle where you have the far left and the far right saying the exact same thing, that somehow that if Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine, it's our fault. It's a sign you know, that we did it, that we shouldn't be so mean, that he's got legitimate interest, that we're staying. I mean, it, it is kind of remarkable, this inversion in a very short period of time when it comes to American, uh, America's role in the world. And our, and our role vis-a-vis NATO and uh, and the threat that Russia poses. It's just it's, it's only been a few years. It's almost like a blink. And yet, you know, once again, everything's turned on its head. So is it just, is this process that you're describing just a function, just a result of the partisanship becoming so extreme that the out party wants to sort of hate the party that runs the United yeah. States government, even when it, we're, it's up against a, a dangerous foreign adversary, or is it more than that? 
Well, that's the easiest explanation, and it's probably more than that because I think there's this growing fascination with authoritarianism. I I, I probably, by the way, should make the distinction between, you know, some of the talking heads on the right, the Tucker Carlson's of, of the world, and the congressional Republicans that you were citing before, because a lot of them are clearly not taking their lead from you know the, the pro appeasement uh, crowd. I mean, so there is there is a there is an actual split um, on the right about this at the moment, and I suppose that that's kind of a good thing that not mm-hmm. everybody's going along with this. But yeah, some of it's simply tribalism that whatever happens under Joe Biden, we're against. But also, there is this very odd fascination with the the Putins and the Orbans and the and the other people who are strong. And, you know, who are somehow have become role models for people on the right. And I'm trying to say that sentence without using the F word, not the, the other, the other F word, not, not the F, not the F word I applied to Chris Christie, the other F word. Okay. Can I raise a parallel concern on the left? Yes, please. Here's my concern about something I'm seeing on the left. And this reminds me of going all the way back to Iraq. There's a lot of progressives who don't like sanctions, right? They say sanctions are bad uh, because they hurt poor people. They hurt people who can't afford it, that the rich people and the autocrats and the autocrats flunkies will all be able to evade them. In the lead up to the Iraq war, before the Iraq war, I remember hearing this. We shouldn't be using sanctions against Saddam Hussein. It will hurt normal people. And now I'm hearing it also from progressives in Congress about we shouldn't be imposing sanctions on the Russians because these sanctions will hurt ordinary people. Here's my concern. If you don't have economic power, you're left with military power or nothing, right? So I worry that this aversion to sanctions, however well-intended, is going to increase the likelihood that we end up in military conflict. I mean, I think economic power is awesome. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, was out yesterday saying, making the point that the West has control of like 50% of the world's GDP and the Russians and the Chinese have like 20%, right? We should be using that economic power and it might help us avoid the need to get into a war, which none of us wants. Uh, Well, this is kind of a surprise because I guess I am so old that I remember when sanctions was very much a progressive part of the agenda when it came to, say, South Africans dealing with apartheid. Um, because you're, you're obviously right. It, you know, sanctions are the, the most powerful alternative to kinetic military force, right? So I, I don't know how that turned around. So uh, speaking of foreign policy, Mike Pompeo was out on the Sunday shows talking about Afghanistan and trying to talk about a revisionist history there. I mean, this is also part of this, that things that we supported under Trump are now we're completely against under Biden. So here's Mike Pompeo, who was Secretary of State when Donald Trump was essentially completely surrendering to the Taliban, is now out with a completely revisionist story. We were very clear. We wanted our young men and women out of Afghanistan. Nobody needs to doubt what President Trump's objective was, but we had a clear plan. We had conditions that had to be met before we would take our last soldiers and sailors and airmen out of Afghanistan. And when you can see, when the Biden administration had made that decision, when they put the fixed point on the ground and said, this is the date we are out no matter what happens, the bad guys, the Taliban took advantage. You think he's lying about it? Oh, he's absolutely lying. I mean, Pompeo was out on Fox News, where he won't be, where no one will point out that he's lying, saying 
that uh, that that Trump had all these conditions without which he was not going to hand over Afghanistan to the Taliban, and that Biden set what Pompeo called a date certain, which undermined the United States and the Afghan government and allowed the Taliban. And it's all complete lies. I mean, there is literally a document, right, uh, authorized by the United States government and the Taliban. They they signed an agreement. Uh, to get that the United States was going to be out, out completely out of Afghanistan by, I believe it was May 1st of last year. And Biden actually extended that. Biden delayed the deadline to which Trump had agreed. So the Trumpers made this deal to get out of Afghanistan. Then Biden delays it, finally does it, did not do it well. But the point is the deal was already cut. And now it's just unbelievable gall on the part of Pompeo to be out there claiming that, you know, that Trump had these conditions. About, and, and by the way, at every rally Donald Trump does, he claims he was going to keep Bagram Air Force Base. Yeah, that yeah. is complete lunacy, right? He's, and it's just a, mar- a marvelous index of the lies of our time that there is literally a piece of paper that anybody can hold up and say, you signed this, you were getting out. And Trump and Pompeo just don't care. No, they they just don't care because they see this as a cudgel to use against Joe Biden. And I, and I do think that this was one of Joe Biden's biggest failures, but certainly not any sort of a justification for what Donald Trump was going to do. I guess, you know, part of it I keep coming back to is that Biden set a, you know, get out of Afghanistan a certain date by the end of August, which was several months after the withdrawal date that, that Trump had committed to. Trump wanted to get out of there in May. In fact, remember that story that we found that that uh, he'd actually drafted up an order of uh, to have a complete withdrawal before he left office. Oh yeah, and 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 that, and that somehow the, uh, the the folks in the Pentagon managed to to not implement that. If Trump had had his way, we would have gone been gone by January of 2021 instead of August. So this whole idea that, no, we had this elaborate plan that we would have done it this way, blah, 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 blah. It's so clearly a lie. But as you point out, when you go on Fox News, there's zero chance that this is going to be any sort of a pushback, whatever. So Will Salatin, thank you so much for coming on. And again, just to remind people, we are going to be doing this every Monday, every Monday morning. It's going to be Will Salatin and me on the podcast. And of course, we will continue to have a cast of thousands the rest of the week. But uh, welcome aboard once again, Will. Thank you, Charlie. And thank you all for listening today. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.